0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to to be back after a a week off. And uh, we have been working through the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible, also called the Law of Moses, or also just called the Law. Um, And uh, we've come to uh, the book of Exodus. We've been working through God's deliverance of Israel from enslavement to Egypt after 400 years of slavery. And we've now come to the base of Mount Sinai. God has delivered them. He told them that he would bring them from Egypt and that they would come to Mount Sinai to worship him. So they are at Mount Sinai and they are receiving the 10 commandments, the first laws that God gives the nation of Israel. And essentially the the 10 commandments are the, the, it's like the constitution. It's the basis of, of all the other laws that are going to come for uh, the nation of Israel. And so it's like its founding documents. You know, in in the founding documents for America, so in the Declaration of Independence, uh, it states that that the Creator has endowed rights to all human beings, and those rights uh, are at least these three things, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life is the right to exist without the threat of somebody else uh, taking your life. Liberty is the right to choose your own course of life without fear from oppression or somebody else telling you what you have to do. And then happiness is the ability to enjoy your life the fruit of your work the 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 fruit of what you spend your life doing so life liberty and the pursuit of happiness are three things that that one of our founding documents as a country has established as rights that god has given to all humanity and that the government is responsible to secure those rights and so uh, every nation of people needs um some some declarations of the laws that are going to govern it as a people and hold them together So last week, Lawrence uh, covered the first five of the Ten Commandments. So the the Ten Commandments were written on two tablets originally, and the first set of tablets, uh, the tablet number one or table number one is what Lawrence covered last week. And those laws cover uh, what is needed for people to be directed to Yahweh, the one true God. The second tablet, or the second table, are the laws that govern, then, human relationships. We're going to see some also in in these laws that govern human relationships. We're going to see three things emphasized, like the Declaration of Independence emphasized, but we're also going to see a really... Critical difference that I think you'll see and understand has profound ramifications in how our country is unfolded. <clears throat> so I want to. We'll spend a little bit of time in the in the sermon once we get into it, doing some comparing and some contrasting. Um, and I and I want to be clear that it's that it's not a. Um, you know, there's been obviously a, one of the one of the points of our culture wars here in the states is the the role of christianity or religion in in the country in the government and in policy uh and i haven't i haven't heard of it recently but um easily over the last several decades there have been all these battles around uh, various courthouses across the country that have the Ten Commandments posted somewhere. So I'm not getting into a, we should have the Ten Commandments posted in our government buildings or anything like that, but it, it is helpful to see how, how nations and governments approach what is important for its people. And so with, with familiarity with ours, we can see in some differences um, and understand what, uh, what God is doing with the nation of Israel. And I also want us to be aware of our tendency to take on cultural assumptions. And so our culture is very strong, and it's, it's very easy and possible for us as Christians to, to take on assumptions that our culture has. And so again, I, I, that's one of the other reasons why I wanna look into it, is so that we can see what are some differences between what we're familiar with in the United States and what the nation of Israel was being commanded to do. And so again this the second tablet uh governs human relationships and it really i think is more helpful to see the the commandments broken up not into like the first five and the second five but really there is the first three so you shall have no other gods before me Uh, you shall not make any idols or graven images of me and then you shall not use my name in vain so all of these these three highlight uh, the uniqueness of Yahweh God as creator um, and as the God that they should pursue and the only one that they pursue and then um, laws four and five so uh, the laws about the Sabbath day for God worked six days and rested on the seventh and then being made in the image of God God calls humanity to follow him in that practice and then, this, and then number five, number five was uh, you shall honor your mother and father and so that you may live long in the land. And so what you have in, in laws four and five um, are laws that establish and explain the order that God has put into his creation. Here is how humanity functions well in the cre- in, in, as creation, as God has created and in the order that he has established. And so in the Sabbath day, you have the ordering of time. You have the ordering of work. You have the ordering of rest. You have the ordering of enjoyment and of, and of worship, of orienting ourselves toward God. So it's a lot more than just having one out of seven days where we can rest. And lawrence explained it more fully last week Uh, but what god is doing in that in that six days of work and one day of rest is is establishing uh the the ordering of our lives as people and we as people can't break it i mean we can break it but we will find ourselves disordered from the way things work and then in the law about parents it's more than just children honoring their parents it is establishing a a way of life as people oriented around families but not just families future generations and we'll see that that and we have seen where family dynamics um, are not just um, matters of the individuals in families it's not just the matters of moms and dads and husbands and wives and kids What happens in family life spreads to society. And so the the laws around parents are establishing about a children's orientation towards their their parents really establishes a multi-generational perspective on um, what sexuality is, what having children is, Um, what having multiple generations are what it means to respect elders and other older authorities and so the ideas contained within commandment number five are really creating um the the necessary dynamics in terms of how we relate as people and so there's the ordering of time and work and rest and then there's the ordering of our human relationships and that's what four and five do they are a bridge between god and all of these laws that we're gonna look at today that govern human relationships. I also wanna point out that here you see an order that is consistent in all of scripture, both Old and New Testaments. Um, There is always grace and truth before law, all right? They didn't start out with do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. It began with, here's God, here is how he has ordered all of life. And now as human beings, here, are, here is how we are to live in his world. Grace and truth always comes before law. And that's why you know, we're, we're, we as a church work through the books of Colossians and Ephesians extensively in our house churches um and in other ways and uh what you see like in the book of of Ephesians I think it's probably one of the most clear you have three chapters here's who God is here's what God has done as father as son as spirit here's his plan for creation here's his plan for the church here's the gospel all nations coming together into one body where God dwells it's three chapters not a single command chapters four through six here are the commands grace and truth comes before law we have to comprehend that and so there's gospel already here in the Ten Commandments so law number six do not murder okay murder is the unlawful taking of another person's life it's not to, it's not a command do not kill All Right? killing isn't necessarily unlawful in the eyes of God he's already established earlier in the Pentateuch in Genesis where if somebody commits murder, if somebody takes another person's life um, for evil intents, they are to lose their lives. And so God is now establishing that law in the Ten Commandments. And so why is that? I mean, it seems obvious. Why is that? Why is murder unlawful? Well, it, it is a violation of the person of God and his creation. God has created humanity in his image. To kill something that he has made uh, in his image is to, is to really be an offense against God. It is, a, it is a violation against God's purposes. God created humanity to spread life over the entire planet. Uh, so to kill somebody is to counteract the purposes of God. It's to bring death into God's efforts to bring life. It's a violation of God's authority. See, God has created everything in heaven and on earth and he has created parents, husbands and wives, moms and dads to continue and to perpetuate this creation of having children. So that, has, that is how God has created. He has created everything. He gives life to all things. And so if we assume authority over somebody else's life and taking that life from them, we assume a place of God in wanting to control our lives and their lives by by removing another person's life and obviously it is a it is a violation of that person's right to live god has created a person it is his will for that person to live and so we not only violate god obviously we violate another person's right to live in a culture that doesn't condemn unlawful killing a culture that doesn't condemn murder will spread violence and death throughout its culture. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Now, adultery is the breaking of the the marriage, one man, one woman covenant that God established in marriage when he created man and woman in the first place as husband and wife. That one flesh relationship is the model for marriage it is the model for sexuality for humanity. It is the model for what brings new life into the world through perpetual generations, and it affects individuals, it affects families, and it affects societies. You know, I was, I was doing some reading this week, um, and I'll mention the, the the article in the book in a moment. Um, you know that one of the one of the Arguments that is used or defenses that is used when there are efforts to legislate some sort of sexual mores in our cultures that, you know, the the argument is, you know, why do why do people care about what other people do in their bedrooms? And that's a perspective that sees um, sexuality as a narrowly defined thing between individuals. But it's not just individuals that are affected by sexual immorality. All right, a husband and a wife, a husband and or a wife that commit adultery breeds mistrust between themselves. That mistrust, that loss of love, that loss of unity, that loss of affection is easily observed. And I'm sure that all of us have had a context where we have either experienced or have observed the instability that comes to children because of adultery or sexual immorality in the parents. And so then you have children that are affected by sexual immorality. And as those children are affected by sexual immorality, they in turn will have, those will have effects in terms of how they pursue family, if they're not getting a model from their own parents, it's gonna be very difficult to adopt a new model of what healthy marriages are Be And so that, that perpetuates down through cultures in society. Sexual, what we, what we, how we engage sexually with other human beings will never just be a, something that only affects the individuals involved. There, are, there will be children that will be affected. There will be generations that are affected. And if a culture um, isn't strongly protective of, of sexuality within themselves as a culture, the effects of sexual immorality will breed throughout the entire culture. The other, the, and one of the questions, and, and as we see what God's desire is that the nation of Israel will become a nation that is spreading righteousness and justice uh, throughout the earth and to other nations. And so one of the other considerations to make is is who is going to take care of the children that are the consequence or the results of of, of adultery? Who is going to take responsibility is, is, is the if it's if it is the the husband that commits adultery any has sexual relationships with with the 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 wife of another man is the husband of that woman that is committing adultery with the husband from this family who's going to take care of that kid who's going to take the financial responsibility who's going to take the responsibility to care for and to raise up or vice versa whose responsibility is it to care for children and if, that, if that's not clearly spelled out within the context of a culture in marriage with parents that are responsible for children, um, eventually we will see like our culture has, the society eventually ends up responsible for children whose parents aren't willing to take responsibility for them or are unable to take responsibility for them. So again, we see that 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 these things have ramifications and the money that the state of minnesota alone spends on ensuring that or trying to ensure that parents moms and dads take care of their kids it's an enormous amount of money that is spent on that it is a societal cost because our society has increasingly loosened up um, laws that govern human sexuality now this is where it gets difficult because in a culture that doesn't affirm the truth of one creator Yahweh God almighty and all powerful without the without knowledge of God and the truth of God and the truth of God's ordering of all of humanity it's very difficult to put the laws on and obviously that's where we're at we are at a place in our country where we don't have a common understanding of the world. And we've spent a lot of time talking about this over the past uh, several years. And, it's, and, it, and it affects how we think about life in this world. We can't assume a lot of the things that previous generations assumed because we're not all in the shared spot of what it means to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Everybody has a different definition of what those things mean. And again, me highlighting these things isn't, an argument that we need to now put the Ten Commandments into our government, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm I'm saying in highlighting these differences is to show what it means to be a righteous nation under God and not only our nation but other nations of the world and how they are different from that. Prohibitions against adultery are efforts to ensure family integrity for present and future Generations. I kind of get ahead of myself. We've seen that um, in America, the the our definition of liberty is kind of doing what we want. Uh, ancient understandings, even understandings of liberty in the Founding Fathers, understood that liberty is not doing whatever you want. Liberty is recognizing um, the things that can control you and living a life in such a way that remains free of those things but in our understanding of of liberty we see sexuality as a part of this and and indeed what and again we've spent a lot of time talking about this we we have come to a point in time where we see that a sexual fulfillment is tied to my identity and what it means to live a meaningful life and we have little concern with future generations which is a major part of what god created marriage and husbands and wives and sexuality for not just procreation but it's a significant part And so what we see in our own culture is a lack of thinking about future generations. And not not only in the area of sexuality, we see it in environment, we see it in investing, we see it in personal health. We are so concerned about obtaining pleasure and satisfaction and fulfillment in the moment that we bring destruction upon later generations. The question, the question, can we grow, prosper, and be happy without protecting marriage? Can we elevate sexual desires not only for the God-given purposes of of pleasure and a sense of fulfillment, but also strengthening marriages, strengthening families, strengthening future generations? And increasingly, our culture is seeing that unrestricted sexual expression does not lead to freedom. A few weeks ago, I was reading the New York Times, and amazingly, they had an article in there. It was a review of a book. But the name of the article was was straight people. This is in the New York Times. Straight people need better rules for sex. And that's a little bit of a quote out of this, this article. Sex positivity is celebrated in progressive circles with sexual adventurousness championed and inhibition looked down upon we have breached the ramparts of repression and the wall of silence that has prevented us from expressing our sexuality has for the most part fallen Getting rid of the old rules and replacing them with the norm of consent was supposed to make us happy. Instead, many people today feel a bit lost because of our unwillingness to acknowledge a shared set of norms for sex beyond the, mere, beyond the bare minimum of consent let alone the fact that we haven't even got that bare minimum completely right our current sexual culture can feel painfully unmoored this is the new york times this isn't the wall street journal or national review so you can see god trying to establish what this author said a shared set of norms and so what god has done is he's created some norms that govern not only and, and highlight pleasure and fulfillment, sexual pleasure and fulfillment, but also what is healthy for husband, wife, mom, and dad, what is healthy for kids, what is healthy for future generations, not only as a family, but as, as a society. Rule number eight, law number eight, do not steal. Stealing, obviously, is the taking of something as one's own that isn't one's own. It's taking something that's not yours. belongs to somebody else and we see here and it's really based in the fourth commandment of the sabbath ownership of property was built into creation ownership of property was built into creation it is not the invention of capitalism all right ownership of property was built into god's creation see god worked had ownership of what he worked for, and enjoyed what he worked for. It said that they were blessed. It made that they were desirable and they created happiness in God. We as human beings are made in God's image. God has intended for us to work, have fruits from our work that are ours, and then to enjoy the fruits of our work. For us to, image, uh, to us to image God, we must work and enjoy the fruits of our labors that we possess. That is a big part about what it means to pursue happiness. We live a life doing things, working, building families, building communities. We do these things in order to experience happiness. To steal is to take something that somebody else has worked for. It takes enjoyment from the person that worked for their own enjoyment. And the person that steals seeks happiness because somewhere in their mind, they believe that if I have these things, if I take these things that aren't mine, they will make me happy. So happiness in this person's mind from the from the thief is not from my own work, but some but taking from the work of somebody else. Again, it's a violation of God's order. It's a violation of God's ordering of time and work and rest and enjoyment. And it is a violation of another's divine blessing. God has created us as human beings to be blessed, to be made happy, which is what that term means, from our work. We are stealing somebody else's God-given right. While property, and you know, we also see we also see this in our culture in two different You know kind of opposing or different camps we have you know when when when, um the the riots and the property destruction was taking place and there were complaints about that and then there were people that said listen a human life is not the same as property absolutely not property is not the same as human life but we can't minimize that people have lives and live their life to have things it's part of what makes us happy Houses, workplaces, fruits of our labors. And so that's why the destruction of property or the stealing of property has to be prohibited because it is in violation of what God has created human beings to do in the first place and why we live in the first place. Also, we must recognize the value of people's work. All work is valuable. It all fits into a place that contributes to society. And so so we must recognize, and these are just principles and ideals, okay? We must recognize that people need to be compensated for their work so that they are enabled to pursue happiness as a consequence of the fruits of their labors. So that unfair systems that favor rich and powerful are oppressive, unfair systems. We see throughout both Old and New Testaments, prophets speaking against, and Jesus speaking against, um, those who were rich and powerful that were constructing systems. So the kings and merchants, you see this, especially in the prophet Amos, we'll see it in the book of Revelation, why God brings a lot of judgment upon humanity. It is not uncommon for rich and powerful people to create systems that, that enable them to grow more wealthy, uh, and oppress the poor. It's a form of stealing as well. Destruction of property is stealing, creating systems that favor the rich and powerful to oppress the poor is also stealing. So what I, what I, what I, what I think is so amazing about these 10 commandments is that if, if you think them through, it's more than just these 10 specific points. They are really broad and they cover a lot of things that govern human relationships. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness. Bearing false witness is the use of speech to destroy another's reputation. It's a form of murder. It's a form of murder because you are destroying somebody's life. You're obviously not taking their life, but you you are taking life from them by destroying their reputation. And if you look at the first three commandments, they're very specific things that we're not to do. We are not to murder. We are not to commit adultery. We are not to uh, steal. And so those things are going to happen. We as human beings are going to violate those commandments and all other th- kinds of commandments. So you have to have some sort of court system, okay? This has already been established. We didn't cover it, but in um, Exodus chapter 18, God, actually God doesn't set it up. Moses sets it up under the... Uh, under the um, God informed wisdom of his father-in-law Jethro, they set up a system of administrating justice. They didn't have a police force, it was the, the heads of households that were responsible for administering justice. And so there were groups of 50s, 100s, 1000s, and then the really complicated cases went to Moses. Moses was trying to do everything. So there's a court system, and if you're trying to establish justice, to compensate victims and to punish the perpetrators for the sins that are committed against these 10 commandments, you've got to have justice. You've got to have justice. So a false witness undermines the efforts that God makes for justice in establishing a righteous society. So to protect the rest of the laws, you have to have here law number nine, law number nine. It is a stealing of another person's right to happiness by spreading lies about them and the effects would affect their families, their extended family, future generations, if justice isn't occurring. And it's a violation of true and honest speech. So God created life, God created all things through his speech. And so his speech is a life-giving thing. We as people who are made in the image of God need to have speech that is life-giving. Speech that destroys the reputations of people by contributing to injustice and bearing false witness is speech that brings death, speech that brings suffering. Again, it's a violation of God in his order. And finally, commandment number 10. Commandment number 10 is really a summing up of the first nine. You will not covet. And then it lists seven things that you're not supposed to covet. And the seven things, obviously, um, you know, not everybody has a donkey to covet, right? The seven things, it's a list of seven things to reflect everything, all right? To reflect everything. Seven is this number of completeness. There were seven things listed in the law, in the Sabbath law. Okay. You are not supposed to work. Your wife is not supposed to work or your husband, your servant. Okay. Seven things. No one is supposed to be working. You are not to covet anything. Coveting. So there's desire. That's a different word. It's a different idea. And then there is will. Will is this movement inside of us that causes us to act coveting is the combination of desire and will if you're coveting you have a desire that's being obsessed on so much that you're not far from doing it that's what coveting is eventually coveting leads to action it's the ongoing obsession to possess something that is not yours so obviously uh, you can see how it would affect and, and really comes out of all of these laws. Coveting is founded upon the belief that the possession of something that's not mine, whether it's another man or a woman's spouse, their house, their donkey, whatever, it's a belief that prosperity and happiness, prosperity and happiness will come if I can now possess those things. That's what what coveting is. It is a rejection of the truth that prosperity and happiness are something that God provides, something that God provides. It is a violation of all of the laws. It is a rejection of God and his ordering of life. It is a rejection of all of these laws that have been elaborated before six through nine. To covet is to be an idolater. It is to commit idolatry. It is to believe that there is a greater God that provides prosperity and happiness. All right? Prosperity and happiness. I think we've. I think we covered this in one of the other sermons in the Pentateuch. Prosperity and happiness is this, is this theme throughout all the New Testaments, the experience of what it means to be a human being, a true human being, prosperity and happiness. Psalm chapter one is about prosperity and happiness. The one who abides in, in the word of God, meditating on it day and night, is one that experiences prosperity and happiness. You see it as a tremendous promise in, in the Old Testament. And then you have Jesus saying that I am the one that provides abundant life. The first miracle that the Gospel of John records is Jesus attending a wedding. And this is very intentional on Jesus's part and on John's part. This wedding, they ran out of wine. They ran out of wine. And so they go to Jesus. Jesus, we, we ran out of wine. Can you do something about this? And he's like, my time has not yet come, which he was, in saying that, he was saying, listen, it is not time for me to be revealed as God. It is not time for me to be revealed as the Messiah, the one that brings prosperity and happiness. But what does Jesus go ahead and do? He he creates 120 gallons of the best wine that the world has ever tasted. The best wine. I've got a friend, um, He's a he's a neighbor, and he has a very wealthy um, brother. And this brother sends him twelve sends him twelve cases a year. A case of wine is twelve bottles, so he gets one hundred and forty four bottles of wine from his brother. The, the, I think the minimum price of each bottle of wine is hundred dollars. But he, he we had him over for dinner one time. He brings over this bottle of wine, and, and and we just talk about this. I said, you know, hey Paul, how much did that bottle of wine cost? He said three hundred dollars. I go, wow, amazing, and it tasted amazing, okay? Beyond anything you can imagine, Jesus created. Why, what was Jesus trying to say? Jesus is trying to say, I am prosperity and happiness, and there is no way that you're gonna find it from any other place than me. And coveting is a violation of that principle. To covet is to be an idolater the conclusion then we see here in the 10 commandments the gospel the gospel god provides humanity life prosperity and happiness for individuals for families for nations sin introduced into the world through coveting what was a man and woman were at in the garden and they saw that there is this fruit Man, if I had that fruit, I'd be wise, I'd be sustained, and I would be beautiful. That's what they thought. That's what the text says, that they said, and they took of it. And it was was a rejection of God providing all of those things, and that something else could provide it. So sin. Now sin, it is important for us to realize this. Sins are not just something that we do. Okay, there are transgressions transgressions are specific acts of sin against specific laws we have transgressions then there is this sin generally sin generally is the idea of missing the mark not only have we committed offenses against specific transgressions we don't live up to be all that we could be we don't we don't resist things that we need to resist we don't engage in things that we need to engage that's what it means to just be to have sin to have iniquity it's another term all right so that those are things that we do or don't do but sin is a force it is a power and it is alive and it rules humanity it rules humanity it's overtaken the world it is an active force and prior to coming to know Jesus Christ that active force of sin is what controls us Ephesians chapter 2 says you were once controlled and enslaved by your flesh which is the desire in us to do evil by the world and the pressures that it puts on us to do evil and what he says is the spirit of the air which is the serpent which is the devil which is Satan lots of terms throughout the scriptures he embodies and is the source of sin and evil It said you were once enslaved and controlled by this force of evil outside of jesus christ that is your ruling force if you come to know jesus christ and acknowledge that god is alone is the source of life and prosperity and happiness and see that jesus christ has entered into death and overpowered sin and death to bring life if you believe in that then you sin and its power is killed in you and the holy spirit is given to you and we are made alive we are made into a new creation we have two options when we see these laws we can throw them out because they they create so much oppression they create so much guilt and shame and low self-esteem these laws that just burden us we can do that but as we're gonna see and as we see in our own culture i mean you know I can read that quote again, but I won't. We've thrown off all the old rules of oppression, but we're not happy. We're unmoored. We're lost. These are the terms that our own culture is defining or, 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 or stating is our experience, even after we've thrown off the old laws. Or we can... We can... Um, Try to do them all the more and create a lot of oppression and a lot of burden, thinking that if we just could do these laws, we would be prosperous and happy. What's interesting is you can see in these two opposing ways, kind of national levels. And so obviously, if you've been reading, keeping up with uh, the war in Ukraine and even just our approaches to COVID, you see these, you, there, is the, there is the West and its decadence, right? That's the term that all the reporters are using. And then there is the, the other, the non-West, and their authoritarianism. You have a set of nations that are throwing off laws, and you have a set of nations that just keep throwing more on. That's how, that's how things go in the Bible. We either become licentious or we become legalistic. No laws or all law. Neither option is viable. We need more than laws. See, the laws here identify where we sin. That's, that's the purpose of these laws. And they keep pointing us to God, but we need more than laws. We need, we need the power to break that power of sin. Here's Leon Cass describing the idolatrous person. His heart is set on the position, on the possessions of another, because he fails to realize that the things that matter most, I just love how he says this, the things that that matter most are not the unshareable things, our spouses, our homes, our donkeys. The things that matter most are the things that we and our neighbors have in common knowledge of the Lord and what he requires of us, participation in his grace and the bounty of creation, and the opportunity, despite our frailty and penchant for iniquity, to live a life of blessing and holiness. We need the power to break what he calls our frailty and penchant for iniquity. These laws point us to God for life and prosperity and happiness but they take place within a larger message the larger message of the Pentateuch that says God will provide a man who will destroy that serpent that serpent is what brought sin it brought deception and it brought death into the world that is the ultimate hope not these laws throwing them out won't do any good trying to live 100 percent by them won't do any good the hope that we have is the hope in this one man who destroys the serpent, who destroys sin, who destroys deception, and who finally destroys death. And he demonstrated that by resurrecting from the dead. He alone has the power to break that. So the message of the Pentateuch and the message of these 10 commandments is, believe that Jesus Christ is the means for life and prosperity And happiness because he has proven that he has overcome what keeps all of us from it the power of sin let me pray lord god thank you for the beauty of your word the beauty of these ten commandments i'm thankful god for the opportunity to study and to to preach and to explain these it deepens my own understanding of who you are and i thank you god that you've given us these words as a church god you've given us some norms some shared norms so that we don't have to wander around in the world like the world unmoored and unhappy and god we are thankful for jesus christ who breaks the power of sin and our penchant for iniquity and our frailty in order that we can experience you and all of the life and prosperity and happiness that you provide in your son's name we pray amen